files, audio files, ladies and germs. Welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, I am honored to be joined by one of the greatest filmmakers of modern cinema and a filmmaker I hold in the highest regard. She is the director of such films as Wayne's World, The Decline of Western Civilization, and Suburbia. Please welcome Penelope Spheres. Penelope, how are things? Yeah, things are great. I mean, what an introduction. Thank you very much, Robert. Gee, I didn't know uh, that um, you thought uh, about me that way. Thank you. I, I truly believe you are one of the most important filmmakers of all time, but definitely towards oh modern gosh. cinema. Yeah, my daughter always says to me, my daughter Anna always says, Mom, you don't know who you are. And yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't think about myself like that, but um, I really appreciate it that uh, you and maybe a couple other people do. <laughs> I think more than just a couple, but I'd like to go back to the beginning of your filmography. What was the inspiration behind making The Decline of Western Civilization? Well, I had been working on Saturday Night Live, and I had produced a film with Albert Brooks, and I was sort of right on the edge of, you know, stepping into mainline, mainstream um, Hollywood studio cinema work, and um, I was also, you know, interested, I was always going to the punk clubs, and I decided, well, forget about this Hollywood stuff here, because it's really not as interesting as the, the punks were, you know? So I decided to um, um, make The Decline of Western Civilization because I just felt instinctively it was um, um, historically important. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really put it into words at the time, but something about it, you know, just in terms of the history of rock and roll, it was so different than anything else. Were the bands and fans receptive to opening up and letting you into their world? Yeah, because in if you think about it, okay, I shot it in 1979 and 80. If you think about it, um, back then not everybody was filming, and uh, really it was such a small scene here in Los Angeles, like nobody but... But me, I mean, is that a sentence that's right? No. Uh, I was the only one shooting. <laughs> so it wasn't like they were being bombarded by a lot of people like it is today, you know. And a lot of them were my friends anyway. And so it wasn't difficult to um, to film them. Well, you shot Decline on film. Was it hard to decide what you were going to shoot due to the limited nature of celluloid? And do you think that it would be easier to make it now if you were to shoot these films in the digital world? Well, okay, first of all, I only could handle one question at a time because I'm a dumbass, okay? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the, um, the, the first question was had to do with film. And you're, um, you're right, I had to pick and choose what I was going to shoot because it was so expensive to purchase the film, process it, and get into... Um, post-production finishing situation without spending, you know, thousands of dollars, which I didn't really have. So um, I had to pick and choose very carefully what I was going to film. Also, uh, I I had to shoot so that um, I could cover more than one band in one night, you know, because I couldn't bring the equipment. I didn't have the money to bring the equipment out too many times. So 
all those bands that you see toward the end of the movie, like um, uh, Fear and uh, uh, Circle Jerks and Alice Bag, uh, those those were all filmed in the same location at the Fleetwood down in Hermosa Beach. Um, but I just changed the background so it looks different, you know. I cheated. Movie magic. And what was that second question that I dorked down on? <laughs> Do you think it would be easier to make those films now with the with digital, just being completely oh. able to do whatever you well, want? Well, it, uh, it would not be easier in terms of getting people to cooperate because right now everybody, you know, has to have all their uh, rewards lined up down the road and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it wouldn't... It, they wouldn't be as cooperative as one thing, but on a technical level, um, well, right around 2000, or actually it was 99, um, I went out on the road with Sharon and Ozzy, and that was right when um, when all the digital technology was becoming um, usable by us normal folks. And um, so we took four um, digital cameras out to, on the Ozfest and traveled to like 30 cities and filmed all these bands. And I ended up with 283 hours of uh, video, which is insane to try to go through, you know, and, and cut it down to an hour and a half. But it was like, Yahoo, I can just shoot whatever I want. I don't have to spend a bunch of money on it, you know? So, Yeah. Well, when did you decide We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll would not be a part of the Decline series? It wasn't up to me because, you know, everything Osborne is controlled by Sharon. And so, um, I mean, even when Ozzy clips his toenails, like she controls those toenails <laughs> that come off, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, um, basically, uh, Ozzy and Sharon uh, were 50% partners, and I was... 50% partner, and it wasn't like, oh, I should make this um, another Decline movie. It was a separate thing because it was the Ozfest, and that franchise is owned by the mistress herself, uh, Sharon, you know? Would you ever go back and revisit that film? What? Uh, we Sold Our Souls? Yeah. Well, I never got a release because Sharon said she had the rights to the music and she didn't so i worked on it for three years and um it never got a release almost got a release and the night before it was going to be released the lawyers called and said no we don't want to do it i'm like why and they go well because uh, we don't really have the music rights i'm like sharon said she had the music rights uh when she signed the band's uh you know contract to go out on the Ozfest that that, that the movie was included and they go, no, Sharon doesn't really make um, contracts with the bands in case she needs to kick them off. So she just, um, there's no contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the big Hollywood fuckovers. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to Decline, just for a moment. Yeah. Was it a conscious decision to give all three of those vast, like very, very dramatically different looks? Was it a conscious decision to give them different looks? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, I, oh, that's a good question, Robert. Um, it w my life is always really about uh, doing whatever is most practical at the moment, you know, or as I say, putting out the fires that are under my feet. So 
whatever whatever decision I had to make at that time about the nature and look quality of the film was dependent upon you know what I had to work with and with the first decline um, it was financed by Jeff Prettyman um, I told him I was going to shoot a Super 8 movie uh, about punk rock. He actually wanted to make a porno movie. I said, dude, I don't do porno movies. I, you know, but that ain't happening. So let's do punk rock. Uh, <laughs> and so he said, okay. And I took him to a couple of uh, shows. One of them was The Germs at uh, Starwood. And, um, and I said, you know, Jeff, I, I screwed up. I, it really is. This is an important movement here. I really need to shoot it on 16 millimeter and I really do need to have more money. And it ended up costing um, around 120000 exactly 10 times what I told him to start with. Um, <laughs> I know. But he was cool about it, and he never regretted doing the movie. He always was very proud of it. And I gave him a role in Suburbia, and I think a couple of other movies I did, and he had health insurance for his whole life because of the Screen Actor skills, and he told me thank you. And he's no longer with us, but um, God bless him for uh, getting the decline going. Well, Suburbia, The Boys Next Door, Hollywood Vice Squad, Dudes, and Decline Part 2 were all released within a five-year period. That's a huge workload. What drove That's you- why I look so shitty right now. <laughs> I, was- <laughs> I worked my ass off back in those days. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about it that way. But well, like- yeah, man, I was... Spitting them out like watermelon seeds, wasn't I? What drove you to take on so many projects in such a short amount of time? Robert, it's called survival. I didn't make any money on those movies. You know, like, um, I remember my agent uh, telling me, um, you know, uh, they'd sent me the script for Hollywood Vice Squad, which is a total, like, low-dollar B-movie exploitation piece of crap script okay and i didn't want to do it um but my agent goes oh where else penelope where else are you gonna make fifty thousand dollars and i went oh yeah you're right um so i just you know ended up taking whatever gig i could get you know so you get you get your comedy <laughs> i did comedies i did serial killer movies i did jive uh you know uh Hollywood Vice Squad type exploitation movies. I I actually managed to get suburbia in there with some message to it, at least, you know. But, uh, yeah, most of the time I was just trying to make a living, uh, Robert. Well, going into the 90s, were were Lorne Michaels and Mike Myers receptive to the vision you had for Wayne's World? Well, actually, I I don't want to take the credit for my vision of Wayne's World, okay? Because everybody thinks directors have, you know, 100% right for the vision, the, the you know, the, the conception and the, the, whole con- the whole concept of the movie. But that's, that's not really the way it is, you know? I mean, for me, Wayne's World was my first studio movie. It was the first... I had to join the Director's Guild, okay? So first time in the Director's Guild. Um... And um, the script was written, uh, the first version of it was written uh, before I got there, so I don't want to take credit for the vision, you know. Um, but, you know, as we, sh- as we kept shooting, 
they they came from television. Bonnie and Terry Turner and Mike um, were the writers, and they all came from TV. And what you do in TV, in Saturday Night Live, this happens. Um, they're handing these people jokes and new lines right before they go on stage after commercial breaks. Okay, so they kept handing me new pages and in my head I had to keep it all straight and make sure that the continuity was going to work and the story was going to be told without having contradictions in it and they didn't think that way because they're live tv you know so that part was a little bit tricky uh, but I got that kind of brain where I can just put stuff together and know that you know what I've shot is going to work you know the people in your early documentaries are very colorful characters. Did this prepare you at all for making Wayne's World and having to deal with the larger-than-life presence that is Mike Myers? Well, um, I guess whatever we do in life prepares us for the next step if we're um, smart enough to learn the lessons, you know, and pick up on the good points and use them. Um, I believe, yeah, um, I, I believe, see, I worked with Richard Pryor in 1969, eight and nine for two years. I worked with Richard Pryor. Okay, that was before he was like mega star, Richard Pryor. And, you know, then I worked with so many different comedians that by the time I got to Wayne's World in 1990, I, um, I knew how to handle Mike Myers, and, you know, he's brilliant uh, uh, on a lot of levels, uh, as we all know, um, and he's a pain in the ass in some levels, you know, but that's normal for the kind of um, just artist that he is, you know. Uh, I always say there's a fine line between genius and insanity, and... And Mike walks it, you know. Did you ever expect Wayne's World to become the cultural phenomenon that it is? No, none of us did. I better be careful, man. Mike's from Canada. I don't want to piss anybody off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was it was tricky, but I I I I do emphasize that I have mega respect for the guy, and he is brilliant, and he is a genius, you know, and he is Canadian. So there you go. Um, what'd you just ask me? I forgot already. You've... You forgot too. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like the cultural phenomenon that was Wayne's Oh, Rock. right. Yeah, no, none of us, Robert, none of us had even the slightest clue. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, it was um, shocking, to be honest with you, that it... It kept going, you know, like it opened really, it tested well, and it opened really well, really well. And then the studio said, well, we've done our domestic run, so you can kiss off international because nobody's going to understand what swing means in Japan. <laughs> and guess what? They understood, you know. Um, I heard the marketing department for the different countries made up a, a little handbook that they gave away at the door that had the translation, you know, for some of the catchphrases in Wayne's world. And I thought, well, that was pretty smart, you know. 
Well, after that, working on studio-heavy films such as The Beverly Hillbillies, Little Rascals, and Black Sheep, was it hard to see your vision through working in the studio system? Well, again, uh, what was hard uh, was was dealing with the executives, you know, and um, because most of them come out of business schools or law schools or, you know, English majors, whatever, (laughs) but they're not filmmakers, you know, but it kind of, they think they are, you know, Um, it's like, and, and also just managing, you know, different, uh, all the politics, you know, did you ever hear that? that joke about how um, a producer and a writer are going across the desert and they're really thirsty and they come upon a stream of water and the writer bends down and takes a drink of the water and the producer pisses in it and the writer goes, what are you doing, man? And the producer says, I'm making it better. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to balance that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Because... That's that's what that's what was hard for me in the studio system is, like I would, I you know I take on a script that I loved and then all of a sudden, especially the last one I did, which was Senseless, and by that time, that, that's the name of the movie, not the description of the situation. <laughs> um, but but by that time, uh, you know, I was really kind of burned out on the studio system, and I was ended up. 97 or 8 working with the Weinsteins on Senseless and talk about uh, ridiculous, useless input from a couple of idiots, you know, that was just like, that just broke the camel's back for me. I was out of there, you know. Well, you go from making Decline to making more family-friendly movies such as The Little Rascals. Was this something you wanted to do to prove that you could tackle something completely different? No, you know, I didn't want to do those movies. I'll be honest with you. I did. I didn't. And I don't have to prove anything to anybody, even myself. You know, it was like I wanted to do more movies. Let me just put it this way. I'm extremely unhappy with my career. Um, I, if I had my brains about me, I would have done more movies like Suburbia. That's the kind of movie that I feel, you know, is useful and has a good message and is, you know, I mean, that movie right there, Flea from the Chili Peppers, it goes all over the world performing and he said, everybody says that's the punk rock Bible, you know, Suburbia. And, And so, I don't know, I mean, I just feel like, um, I, I took a left turn because I had these scripts that I wanted to do after I did Wayne's World, and I couldn't get them made. I had written them, you know, and I still have them, and they've never been made. And those are the movies I should have been doing, but it, I couldn't find anybody that would would produce them or you know finance them. And so when they they go, okay, you just did Wayne's World. Now, how about, what was the next one? The Beverly Hillbillies, I think, right? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, oh, man, I don't want to do the Beverly Hillbillies. I liked the show when I was five, but, you know, I, I really didn't want to do it. And then they go, okay, how about we offer you $2 million to do to, for your director's salary? 
like, well, fuck, I can't get my own movies made, so give me the $2 million, you know? And that's the way that happened. And I got stuck. I got shoehorned into being a comedy director when I really didn't even want to do that, you know? Well, I've read many articles on your take on Hollywood, and it seems like it's something you no longer want to be a part of. That being said, what was it like to uh, direct the Oscars, arguably the night where Hollywood is being peak Hollywood? Well, I didn't direct. I, I, what I did was I worked on some film sections uh, at, for the Academy Awards uh, for a few years. And, yeah. uh, boy, talk about politics. Woo! Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was political. Um, you know, uh, I, I had some good experiences working uh, with the Academy, uh, or I should say with the Oscars. Um, producers, uh, and I had some bad experiences, you know. I had a really good experience with Laura Ziskin, which was, who was the producer of Spider-Man, and I had a really bad experience with Laura Ziskin, who was the producer of Spider-Man, you know. And then I had another bad, well, anyway, I could complain all day, but um, it's not like, oh, my God, this is so glamorous. I'm so special. This is so fantastic. It's not like that, you know. And, and so you're right. I have spoken out and said, I think the quote was that they pulled out of my interview I did for um, AV Club magazine, um, Hollywood can blow me. I said that just casually and they made it like this big headline, you know. Um, it's pretty funny though, but uh, anyway, yeah, that's how I feel. Going way back, what were some of the earliest influences on you? Wait, you have to go like this. <laughs> <laughs> that is <Okay>. true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> what were some of the earliest influences on you as a filmmaker? Well, when I was in film school at UCLA, uh, I loved the work of John Cassavetes. And I loved the fact that he just would, him and his wife, Jenna Rollins, would just get drunk with their friends and turn the camera on and see what happened. That kind of scripted but improvised situation, that's what he did. I was also really, really, really influenced by um, Frederick Weissman, amazing documentary filmmaker, and... Um, uh, then also I was in, I really loved the work of Costa Gavras, who is, uh, do you know who he is? Uh, he's, he's your cousin is who he is. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. And you're, boy, you read up, didn't you? Did your homework. I didn't even know I was related to one of my heroes until like the early eighties, you know? And, uh, I always loved his work and he was a, a, a big influence on how I made movies, um, or documentaries anyway, I should say. Did he ever um, give you filmmaking advice? No, no. He gives me cognac and uh, <laughs> all kinds of Greek food. And uh, he's, uh, he's just a special person. But no, uh, he, oh, he never did that, no. But it, it, we don't have that kind of relationship, you know? Well, what were some of the biggest takeaways from making music documentaries? Um, well, when I started making 
Oh, documentaries? I thought you were going to say uh, the biggest takeaways for making music videos. Okay, so I will say this, though. I, I started the first uh, music video company here in Los Angeles in the early 70s. It was called Rock and Reel. And so I learned how to shoot music that way. Um, and when I did the music documentaries, I guess the biggest takeaways... Um, it, they're diff it's different with each film. Uh, for me, Decline Part 3 changed my life totally um, because I, I guess I must have seen a bit into the future, but it, it turned out that the movie was about um, homeless punks, squatter punks, gutter punks, you know, uh, my beloved crusty punks. Um, I hear there's a lot of punks in Calgary, and are they still? Yep, they're still here. Still strong. <laughs> Hi, you guys. I hope you're listening. That's awesome. I've always wanted to go there to Calgary and, and uh, just hang with the punks in Calgary, but haven't been there yet. I almost made it a couple years ago, showing, showed us some films there. But um, I don't know, the biggest takeaway from the music documentaries, every every one of those documentaries, I, I feel like I, I learned more about life uh and and how to live life and and that was more important than even making the movies you know that's why when when um uh we sold our souls didn't get released i was broken hearted and i cried my eyes out for weeks but then i went wait a minute look at the experience i had i got to go on a tour bus and go to 30 cities and shoot all these bands and make this movie and have this experience, that was just as important as having the movie released, which maybe someday after I'm dead and gone, somebody will see the goddamn thing. <gasps> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> well, speaking of Decline 3, was it a little bit eerie to see how much it mirrored your previous film, Suburbia? That was eerie. You're absolutely right. I What happened was, um, when I wrote Suburbia, I kind of made up this squatter situation and put these punks together in a, in a new family kind of bonded experience. And then when I did Decline 3, I noticed they're doing the same thing as I wrote and and directed with suburbia and i don't know like if i saw the future or if they saw the movie and did that you know what i mean and i'll never know the answer to that maybe it was just some sort of cosmic coincidence but it is freaky how similar it is huh it's very similar <laughs> i know <clears throat> excuse me well did making decline and working on music videos for bands such as megadeth and night ranger give you better appreciation. Ah, I can't believe I did a Night Ranger video. Ah! <laughs> okay, what'd you say? Well, ah! <laughs> I know. Did it give you a better appreciation for, like, the hardcore punk and metal music scenes? Yeah, well, Night Ranger ain't that hardcore, okay? But okay. Megadeth is. Can, can I you ask know? you a question? One that I think a lot of people well, you're have. Asking, all you've been doing is asking me questions. Well, of course you can. <laughs> Odin... In Decline 2. Whose, de <laughs> whose decision was it to put Odin in Decline 2? You have no idea how popular they were uh, 
you know, at that time on the Strip, they were gods, okay? So whose idea was it? I don't know. I mean, I don't know who to to uh, give the credit or the blame to, but uh, putting the bands that we did in Decline 2, those, those bands were sort of a collective decision. Um, you know, if I would have had my own money to make that movie, um, there would have all been like hardcore metal bands and not a bunch of glam bands. You know, not that I don't love Faster Pussycat. I really do. Um, and all the bands, really, but uh, <laughs> you just don't like his butt chaps. Let's face it, man. <laughs> was, was, <laughs> was there a band that you were trying to get on Decline 2 that never just came, came to fruition? Yes. I bet you can't guess who it is. Und- uh, yeah, I okay. don't know. Okay, here we go, Robert. Um, the last band we were going to shoot I was going to close the movie, and I took the manager of the band down to the soundstage. We were supposed to shoot the next day, and uh, a friend of mine was in the in the band. He's a guitar player. His name is Slash, and uh, we were going to put Guns N' Roses in decline. <laughs> and this fucking manager shut me down. I don't know why. I'll never know why, but he said he doesn't want the band to be in the movie. And that's when I went and got Megadeth. Do you think that that would have become an even bigger success if if they would have joined the film? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I almost I, feel like if they were in the picture, it would have elevated elevated it to a different kind of a level. Looking back on it now. Oh, you want me to, right now? You want me to feel bad again, just like I did. Right when that manager said that they're not going to do it. Thanks a lot, Robert, for I... bringing up that really, really painful flashback, you asshole. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, I, I'm just kidding. I think the coin too is, is a masterpiece, so. <laughs> Shut up. No, here's the thing. It all worked out. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think what was in the guy's mind was he knew he had a hot, ready to go really gigantic band on his hands okay he knew that and you know when 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 you're on a roll you don't step sideways you know and i think he just said no as a manager because he didn't want to make any mistakes you know he didn't want the band to to make any mistakes and honestly i'll be real honest with you he was right because you didn't want he he didn't want Guns N' Roses in there with with the glam bands, okay? They were right on the edge. They are kind of glam, but they are also heavy metal, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he didn't want them to go that way, and I understand that, you know. And I am very thrilled that my friend Megadave did it instead because that's. You know, I think he ended the movie really well. Like I said, if I would have had my choice 100%, it would have been much more uh, heavy uh, metal bands there. So do you continue to pursue new music? Are there any recent acts that kind of stand out in your mind? I do not continue to pursue music because it sucks these days, (laughs) in my opinion. It's gotten really 
diluted and pasteurized and homogenized and watered down and bastardized. And I don't know how many of these words I can come up with here on the spot, but the internet is just totally fuck music, you know? And so I feel like, nah, I don't really, I mean, if you got any ideas, let me know, but uh, nothing really gets me going anymore. There's just one, oh, except this one guy. Okay. And I saw him in Portland, and I think he's from Chicago. His name is Willis Earl Beal. And he's kind of a poet, a uh, performance artist, a uh, bluesy kind of brilliant, really, um, performer. Um, he, was actually, he was actually on American Idol, and he thought it was so stupid that he quit. So that's one reason I love him. Um, but anyway, that, other than that, no, I, I don't listen to music anymore. Well, you started out working with Richard Pryor and continue to work in comedy throughout your career. Do you keep up with the modern comedy scene at all? No, not really. I don't get the joke, to be honest with you. Like, they'll show, like, some Jimmy Fallon clip or some those other guys, you know, those late-night dudes. They'll show some clips, uh, and I'll look at it and go, I don't get the, I don't get the jokes, you know? I think I was funny when I was funny, and I ain't funny now or something. I don't know. I think it's a different sensibility. I think, you know, now young people have a different... They think things are funny that I don't think are funny, and vice versa, you know? But that's cool. I had my day. Well, you've made some of the most important films of a generation, and your films have been placed in the National Film Registry, which are huge honors in their own right. But would you say, what would you say is your proudest moment of your filmmaking career? Oh, The Decline Part 3, for sure. Yeah, because it is the most um, compassionate film. And um, I, I don't know, I keep trying to think of ways that I could show that film to people who hate homeless people and teach them to have compassion for, you know, people that have less than they do, you know? I have a friend that lives in a, like, suburban neighborhood, and she um, she actually used to work for Fox. And uh, her neighbors get together, because down by the, there's a, the L.A. River, if you can call it that, that goes through their neighborhood, and down by the river is a homeless encampment, and the neighborhood gets together with gun, with their guns, with their guns in their belt, and they walk down there and they threaten these people. My God, you know, what the hell? I have some compassion. So that's why I like The Decline 3, is that I think it shows um, that these kids, it's not their fault that they're out on the street, you know? And... I don't know. I made it 20 years ago and look at the homeless situation. Now, is it bad there in Calgary? It's getting worse. Yeah, it's very, very tragic. So anyway, that's that's the, the film I, I really love the most. All, that, all those movies during the 90s when they were, you know, sending the limos to pick me up and go to the big old Hollywood Boulevard glamorous openings and all that. I just never really felt quite like that was me, you know? I mean, I did it because it's in my contract. I got to do it. Uh, and I, I just never really felt that that whole Hollywood glamorous shit was me, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, 
finally, what can we expect to see from you coming up? Can you share any insight into your future plans? Oh, um, well, we, I built a house lately. It took me two years, man, but it's a bitchin' house. Um, can you believe I can make movies and build houses? That kind of is freaky. Um, <laughs> but uh, now that I got this god darn house built, I'm going to continue. Uh, we started shooting a little bit on Decline 4, and I can't tell you what it's about. Um, I would love to because you're a sweetheart, but I can't. <laughs> then everybody else will go shoot it. Um, and also I'm, I'm working on another documentary about my mother who ran away with the carnival when she was 19 years old. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you right now, Decline 4 is the best news I've heard in a very long time. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you, honey. You're sweet. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Penelope, for sitting down with me today. I am a huge fan. I've worn out at least four VHS copies of Wayne's World in my lifetime. <laughs> so, All right. Well, listen, um, I, I appreciate you thinking of me, and um, I'm going to come and visit all them punks in Calgary someday. We, and we until look then, to um, yeah, until then, party on, Robert. Party on, Penelope. Thank you. Okay. Take care, hon. Bye. Thank you for listening. Once again, that was the incredible filmmaker, Penelope Spheres. Keep your eyes peeled for the fourth installment of Decline of Western Civilization, and this concludes our broadcast day.